Welcome to Intrepid Media, the show for the business professional. Here, we're going to talk about business topics such as leadership, sales, marketing, HR, innovation, strategy, and technology. But we're also going to riff about lifestyle too and help you look better, feel better, and live better. This show is everything the modern business professional needs, from the C-level executive to the millennial. So let's get on with the show. Good morning and welcome back to Intrepid Radio. I am your host, Todd Schneck. Going to be a very important conversation as I was talking with today's guest before the show. I think this is a situation that a lot of people are facing and are not even aware of that. And so uh, I think this is going to be impactful for many of you listening, and I'm looking forward to the conversations. It's on a subject matter that is important to all of us, and so uh, it's going to be a great conversation. I'm joined today by Charles Hanna. He's the author of a new book out called Hire, Awaken to a More Fulfilling Life. Charles, welcome to the show. Todd, thank you for having me. The pleasure is mine, Charles. I appreciate you making time to join me. I know you're an awfully busy fellow, so grateful for you swinging by. Charles, before we get into the book, Hire, take a few quick seconds. Tell us a bit about you, your background, and the work that you're out there doing. Okay, my background. I guess I was born 64 years ago in Egypt. Left when I was 15. Come from a very religious family. I moved to North America, kind of dropped my religion, dropped my culture. So I was kind of lost, but quickly was able to find my coordinates and what I wanted to do in life. I studied medicine. I, uh, I went as far as my PhD in neurophysiology. I was fascinated by the science of the mind. But then I decided that I wanted to really help people that are more on the healthy end as opposed to into the sickness side. And I went into marketing and sales, and I worked for IBM, which was the best marketing organization in the world at the time. Yep. And I learned a lot about how to talk to people, how to convey you know, visions and so on. And what followed is I became very successful very quickly after that. And by the time I was, before I was 29 or 30, I had dozens of people working for me, made millions of dollars, and I married somebody I really loved. I had admiration and respect, and I had everything to look forward to. And and then I started to dabble in some drugs recreationally. And one of the reasons was is that I did not get the kind of incredible satisfaction that I thought I would get from all the success having started from nothing. And that led me into a very vicious cycle that almost ended up in my death. And, and during that time, it was a nightmare that I could not have even read about in books, wondering why did this happen to me? How could I be doing this to myself? Why did the world turn against me? I was lucky to survive it. And through the survival of that, I learned a few things that most people don't get a chance to learn. And I talk about it in the book, something called a perception disorder. And I discovered that we all have it. Just some of it with us, it progresses a lot further and can get you into trouble. But you see it in a myriad of people, anywhere from just like mild depression, or you find people that may be very happy and accomplished and have family and have everything that you may want to have or think you know you should have, but somehow you're not excited about life. It's kind of boring, and you ask yourself, is that all there is to it? There's got to be more, there's got to be more, there's got to be more. And then in the more extreme sense, of course, you get people that are kind of bitter or angry or isolated or they don't have many friends. And then as you go further, you get into depression, and then you get into addiction at the extreme end where people actually are killing themselves through that process. And a lot of people wonder, why would anybody that has everything be killing themselves? And it has to do with this perception disorder that we can talk about a little further. But that was kind of my passion is to always kind of give back and to, to, to teach. 
I, I rely on my knowledge of science and, and how we evolved, how our brain works, and, and then into the emotional aspect of it. And I feel it's an important message that many people can take and improve their life and maybe help other people along the way also to find more happiness. That is really right at our fingertips. It's just that our mind tricks us, and we don't see it. Mm. Well, I appreciate you sharing your, your personal journey there. That's obviously uh, foundational here to the, the message that comes from the book, Higher. And, and, and I'm looking forward to diving in and better understanding perception disorder. I think it's something, as you said, I think we all suffer from that. Now, many of us suffer to different degrees, but I think it's something that's why I wanted to have you on the show, because I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to listen to this and realize that they have this perception disorder and, and that they have it within themselves to do something about that. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that conversation. And you partially answered the question. I always ask a similar question like this uh, to every conversation I do, because if you go to Amazon and say, hey, I want to find a book that's going to lead to a more fulfilling life, there's a lot of titles. There's a lot of content out there about how to be happier and how to be more fulfilled. Why? What's different about Hire? Why did Charles Hanna have to write this one? What, what, what makes this book different and unique from all the other content out there? I think what's, what's different about it is it's very uh, common sense, and it's something that you can really understand and sink your teeth into. It's very, very simple. It's very logical, and it's very compelling. When you, when you listen to it, you'll find that this makes a lot of sense. A lot of the self-help books that I see out there are more about doing, like, you know, meditation and trying to visualize where you are and things of that nature. And these are all helpful, but they're very transient. It doesn't change your essence. A lot of motivational programs, for example, you go to, and you're very inspired while you're there, and then you leave it, and a week later, you're right back to where you left, and you say, mm -hmm. how did this happen? Like, and it happens over and over again, because it's like building sandcastles. You know, the, the next wave comes in and washes it out. If you don't really change something in your essence, and that's what I talk about in the book, they're actually very simple changes, but you have to really understand why. And you have to be convinced to your core that that will make a difference. Because unless we really have a compelling reason to do things, we don't change as human beings. We have, we have very high inertia. So I think the book goes a long way in terms of describing in very simple and obvious terms things that you know, might be fundamentally different from the way you usually think. But when you, when, 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 you, when you really look at them, you see that it can really make all the difference. Mm. Well, yeah, I've been to plenty of those uh, motivational events where I come out all fired up, and then within just days, you're back in the normal routine. That is just so, it's so prevalent in our society and our culture. And, and to change something in your essence, which is uh, obviously is game-changing, I, is is the difference now here's the deal charles I, I i worry that someone listening saying all right well all right so meditation's helpful but it doesn't change something in my essence but i don't even know what that means uh, to yeah. someone listening when you say you have to change something in your essence what does that fundamentally mean because I, I i worry that if you ask 10 people what that means you're, you're going to get 10 different answers and therein lies part of the problem so help us understand exactly what you mean by that so that we can get a grasp on how to tackle yeah. our perception disorder which is likely causing that problem by by changing your essence you have to change the way you look at life and you need to be a little bit open-minded about this and not everybody is going to be able to be open-minded about things I mean, I remember for myself, I was very determined and very, I knew exactly what I wanted to do in life, and nobody was going to tell me any differently. So it will affect different people at different times. But by essence, it's just the way we think about things. So let me go a little bit into what I mean by perception disorder and, and how that affects us. As I mentioned in the book, it's a condition whereby you look at yourself as the center of the universe. 
And of course, nobody likes to think of themselves as being self-centered. But you don't have to be egotistical to be self-centered. You don't have to be someone that is very selfish to be self-centered. We can be very self-centered in many other ways that most people don't realize. The definition of it is that you look at life and you, co- and you compare everything and you evaluate everything in terms of how it relates to you. Is this good for me? Is this bad for me? Should I go here? Should I do that? Should I control this? Should I could not control that? That is self-centeredness. And as a result of that, people can feel better than, less than, more uncomfortable, and so on. And it distorts your ability to view life the way it is supposed to be going on, and it affects our ability to be happy. Now, how does it start? It starts as children, when we, somebody hurts us, or something happens that embarrasses us, or we feel you know, kind of ashamed. And we don't have a parent or somebody who's loving that continuously talks to us as these experiences happen from day to day. Even my child who's in grade one, I can understand how she has a very sophisticated social structure whereby there are loyalties and betrayals and there's love and friendship and, and inclusion and exclusion, all of these things. If a child does not get continuous grounding and, and discussion with the parents, they keep these experiences inside them and they start uh, you know, uh, feeling something about themselves sometimes that may not be adequate. If it happens that way, they start becoming isolated and, and they don't want to feel certain things and they try to control their environment to not feel that or not be around certain people because it hurts them. And, and the reason they're hurt is because of their perception of it. Let me give you an example. Let's say somebody coming at you with a club. I mentioned that example in the book. And he's waving it. And you perceive erroneously that that person is going to attack you. Meanwhile, they're not attacking you. They're just angry because of something else that happened. And they might be angry at anybody that's in front of them. There's nothing personal against you. But in the process, you might feel anger. And you feel fear. And you might even attack the person. So somebody else watching from the side and sees it differently might speak out against you. Now, you're already hurt by the fact that you see an unwarranted attack happen against you, and then now somebody else who's an outsider is now speaking against me, all of a sudden makes you question yourself. And if that's not talked to and you understand what is the basis behind it, you start becoming angry, you start becoming fearful. And as these children grow up, they become more and more fearful and insecure, and they start to control their environment more and more. And we know we cannot control our environment. I mean, anybody that has tried to control the environment is just going to end up in a very bad place. Because life happens whether you like it or not. So they start isolating. When you start isolating, your mind becomes very preoccupied with anxiety and fears and trying not to be here and questioning this and questioning that. And right there, you've lost it. You've lost the ability to enjoy living in the moment and all the gifts that are given to us that are just a miracle in life. And in the extreme sense, you become so isolated that the first chance you might get a drink or a, or a kid, for example, mostly at the age of 13, 14, when they start experimenting with these things, all of a sudden you, they feel a sense of inclusion, like they don't care anymore. You know, they're not sensitive to somebody or they, they become, they feel like they belong and they're funny. They, they take something that they might normally consider as, as, a, as, a, as an insult and they look at it as funny and they throw a joke back and they've never felt more alive in their life. And right then, that kind of addiction and dependence starts, even though they ha- they're not abusing it still, they're not addicted by any uh, stretch of the imagination, but there is a psychological addiction that starts then. And that doesn't solve the problem. In fact, it masks it and, make, and it continues to go worse because that, that person does not develop their social skills, does not uh, fix the problem, the, the roots of it, of the perception disorder. And as they get older, it becomes now, you know, the pain gets greater and greater until the usage is just an, an obsession and a necessity and they cannot survive without it. Now, that's in the extreme sense. 
you don't have to go to that extreme to to develop all sorts of different other mental illnesses, like in, which is basically happiness. Like somebody asked me at the the month of mental health, you know, like what does mental health mean to you? Mental health means you you're happy. You're a happy person. You grow. You go. You, you wake up every day, and you're excited about the day that goes in front of you because it's a miracle to be alive. And you could meet anybody on any day. You could accomplish anything. And if you don't have that sustained stage of happiness, sure, bad things happen now and then. But in overall, if you're not in a state of happiness or gratitude, something is wrong. If you don't take good care of yourself, something is wrong. Something even as simple as smoking a cigarette is indicative that something is wrong. And we don't see it because we're so used to it because so many people are in that state. And we don't have to accept it. If you realize that that's where you can be, then I submit to you that it is a perception disorder that's causing you to be there. Mm. Boy, I'm going to think about the story of the person coming at you with a club and then how that leads to a chain of events which spirals into this uh, to this, uh, where you have these problems. I mean, we can all take that, ex- that, that example, that metaphor, and apply it to so many experiences in our lives. So fascinating to think about it that way. All right, Charles and I will return after this short break. We'll be right back. Think Next, Act Now is an entrepreneurial movement. It is a teaching platform, a coaching forum that emphasizes action. And the link between thought and action makes a difference in the outcome you determine or the result that's determined for you. When you see, seize, and create opportunity for yourself, you take a big step toward becoming recession-proof and changing your life. If you are determined to make a change in your life, Think Next, Act Now will provide the essential toolkit to move your life forward. Only realized potential cashes the check of reality. Now is the time to realize your potential. Think Next, Act Now and go always forward. To learn more, go to BillWoodich.com. That's BillWoodich.com. All right, I'm back with Charles Hanna, the author of a new book called Higher Awaken to a More Fulfilling Life. So, gosh, a thousand directions I want to take this conversation. You talked about so many different compelling ideas that I'd love to dive into all of them. One thing I want to get clarification on. This idea that we believe it, that we're self-centered, that we believe we're the center of the, of the universe, I understand that. I myself recognize that a lot of my stresses, a lot of my unhappiness believes that things were done personally towards me when, in fact, they absolutely were not. But I also, so I understand I can't be self-centered, but then where do you draw the line between this idea? I mean, you said right before the break, you know, you got to take care of yourself. So where do you, how do you do that without being self-centered? I mean, it's, it's, it's the classic model of riding in an airplane and, this, and them telling you, put the mask on you first so that you're able to take care of other people. You do have to focus on yourself and, and do take care of yourself, but how, how do you do that the correct way without being self-centered and at the center of the universe? I, I think that's a perfect question because there's a big difference between being self-centered and, and taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. I asked myself at one point, you know, when I buy a car, I go out and I, I pay for it. You know, I select the model and so on. If I buy a house, I do the same thing, but it takes me a lot longer to pay for it. What did I pay for my life? I have a life that's worth more than all the money in the world, but I had absolutely no say in it. I had no say that I'm going to be a man built at this time with these qualities around the people that I'm in, in this country and so on. Where did this come from? I have no say in it whatsoever, and, and I have no idea where I came from. I have no idea where I'm going. I don't know what it's all about or what path I'm going to take. And it didn't take me too long to realize that this life 
does not belong to me. I don't own it. It's been entrusted in me. When you start thinking about your life that way, you start taking the first step of looking at yourself from outside of yourself. You start seeing yourself from a third-party sense. You start seeing yourself that you are part of something that's much greater than you could ever imagine, comprehend, or realize where we're going. Just look at the space and all the times when you see the shows about how many planets are out there and how vast it is. You start to realize we are part of that, and this is not something that I own that's inside of me. I am just a participant, and I am very lucky and blessed to have that participation. But I am entrusted with this life. Whatever it is beyond that, I cannot explain it, but I know for the time being that I'm entrusted in it. When you look at it that way, you realize that your cardinal responsibility in life is to take care of yourself. That's very different from being self-centered. You take care of yourself, meaning you respect the gift that has been given to you. You take care of yourself physically. You take care of yourself mentally. You take care of yourself spiritually. And by doing that, you automatically, as a byproduct, you take care of everybody else that's around you. I cannot give you $5 unless I have the $5. I cannot give you love unless I have the love. I cannot give you an image of healthiness. I cannot inspire you to a better human being unless I am in a state that inspires you. By really taking care of yourself, you take care of everything else around you. Mm. Fascinating. I want to listen to that again and again because it's uh, very helpful in, in clarifying the difference between those two. And as you said, dramatically different. And I think part of the problem is there's a lot of people that think that's the same thing. And, and that therein lies part of the problem here, that if we could achieve the understanding of the distinction between being self-centered and taking care of yourself, I think that would open up a lot of eyes. And, and actually, I think be exciting for a lot of people to say, oh, now I because then I begin to see a path. I mean, I just worry that most people out there, Charles, they don't think that it's OK to be happy. They, they, they so somehow I feel like there's this notion in our society, in our culture that we look down upon people who are just overtly happy. I don't know if it's because we're jealous of them or if we don't have any idea how to how to be that way ourselves. I mean, I just feel like most people feel like it's not OK to just be so happy that 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 you can that you can enjoy life we're just stuck in these ruts and these routines of getting up and trudging to a job that we don't like and and I, mean, I i saw a quote the other day that i thought was intriguing most people are so afraid of death but to what end because most of the lives that we're leading so what i mean they're boring drudger lives of drudgery and, and unhappiness so why do you know why are we so afraid of that talk about how we can why that how it's okay to be happy and, and why that can still be a very very good thing it, it is so sad to hear that you know like you know we're you know we're having this kind of life and because you have you know when you sit back and realize what a miracle it is to be alive it's unbelievable how beautiful life is and it's being missed when you look at somebody else who is happy and you feel kind of a jealousy or kind of a resentment and so on, this is a very strong indication that you've got a perception disorder problem. Because what you're doing right there is you're comparing what another person has to what you want. And you feel like I got the short end of the stick. world has not been fair to me. I did not get the balance of things correctly. That's classic perception disorder. Mm -hmm. As opposed to when you see somebody happy and you say, wow, what a wonderful thing that is. Without even comparing it to what you have or what you don't have. You just love the beauty for what it is. You don't look at a flower that's beautiful and say, oh, my God, look how that makes me look. We don't look at it that way. We look at a flower and we enjoy it for what it is. Or if we are really sick, we might look at a flower and we don't care. We just kill it and smash it with our fingers. And that's like extreme sense of perception disorder because you're angry and you're frustrated and you don't have any love or ability to capture anything. So that's the importance. So, so we talked a bit about what the perception disorder. Well, how, how can you fix it? 
how you fix it is you have to be outside of yourself. And one of the easiest ways to do that is to connect with a lot of people. And, and, and because the disease of perception disorder is isolation, is where we see ourselves different from everybody else. The more we connect with other people, the more we find that we have a lot in common. So I talk a lot in the book about doing very simple techniques that go a long way in terms of putting you in a place where you, bit by bit, you start feeling that. And those techniques include connection with as many people as you can. You have to have a very close circle of friends that you can entrust. For example, I have a group of, you know, four or five men that are kind of similar demographics as myself. We meet every four weeks or so, and we spend about four hours. We don't talk about sports or, or, or the weather or, or politics or any of that. We talk about what's going on in our lives. I might say, like, I had an issue with my daughter that's disturbing me, or somebody else may say, you know, like, I'm getting an ailment and I'm really feeling resentful that I cannot walk anymore, or this or that. And when you have, like, four or five people that you trust, not close friends, but people that are acquaintances, because close friends will always support you no matter what you say. You don't want somebody to do that to you. You want somebody to be honest with you and tell you exactly what things are. Can call you on your mistakes, can call you on your selfishness, can call you on your self-centeredness. And when you have that, the, the things become so clear in a manner you could never imagine. So we can help one another in terms of seeing life the way it is from an outside perspective. And the happiest people are the ones that are more connected with people because they just see things outside of just their own lens. And we all have that perception disorder no matter what. Like only in the extreme perfection do people don't have perception disorder. So all of us can, can benefit from that. And, and so I won't get into all the, 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 the ways that you do it, but that gives you a simple idea as to how you do that uh, by connecting with other people. And then you realize that anger in you is not good. Resentment is not good. We've heard it from many things. And I talk in the book as to specifically why it is not good for you and how to get rid of it. There are very simple techniques that help you get rid of it. But you're not going to do that unless you know in your heart that that's the right thing to do. And when people go, for example, for addiction and stuff like that, one of the fundamental things that they help them with is that they have to find a grounding that's outside of themselves. And that's, they talk about the concept that you have to believe in a God or you have to believe in a higher power. And, and a lot of people are prejudiced against the word God and so on. And, there's, and that's the difficulty that a lot of people in society have today. They don't have a connection to something that's a higher order. A lot of us have rejected religion because of whatever reason, because we look at other religions and say, that's not right, or I don't like this, or I don't agree with that, or this does not make sense to me. And then we end up throwing out the baby with the bathwater. We end up throwing out the concept of a higher power or something that's bigger that we are part of because we don't like how somebody else interpreted it. And that was the big mistake I made. So one of the things that I have done a lot of work on and that I encourage a lot of people to do is to find their own connection to that, something that makes sense to them, something that grounds them, something that makes them feel that they are part of something much greater. So uh, if I may, I may give you an example. Yeah, please. And just before you do that, I mean, yeah. what you're talking about here is, is getting and reaching this higher state. That, that's, that's why the book's called Higher, right? I mean, that's what this is all about is getting to that higher state. Yes. Okay. And so uh, I talk about something called the higher perspective, where you're looking at life from a higher perspective. And I use, for example, my, I use the Christmas tree that I have as an example. I was putting the ornaments on it. And I was always frustrated with trees because the branches are not equidistant from one another. They can, some are drooping and some there's big gaps and so on. And I always actually preferred fake trees because I can put the branches in the perfect symmetry. <laughs> but I was thinking about the trees. It wouldn't it be nice if they were just like exactly at 120 degree angles and, you know, that much apart. And then I realized, but if I look back at a forest and look at the tree, no matter how imperfect that tree is, within a forest, it's absolute perfection. Mm -hmm. There's nothing I can do to improve on the tree. And if I was to improve on the tree, what would I destroy in the process? 
sometimes you need the gaps between the trees so that birds can fly in and out, so that sun can come in and, and, and warm their nests. They need clumps in some areas so that they can have the nest and be protected from, from predators and stuff like that. So we don't know why things are the way they are. But if I look at my life as that one tree and I see a branch missing and I become really angry and upset and feel like I've been cheated in life because I don't have a branch, I am micromanaging my life. Mm-hmm. And what we have to need to know is that our life is the forest, it's not the tree. I don't believe we've come from nothing or going to nothing. I mean, a lot of people believe in reincarnation or, or heaven and hell. It doesn't matter what you believe in. But you have to believe that you are not, did not appear from nothing or going to nothing. Mm-hmm. This is a continuum, and we just have a tree right now that is our present life. And if you are missing a branch, it's not important. What's important are the branches that you have. Because the gifts that we have right now, be it our friends, our health, our ability to taste and love and enjoy those things, they are priceless. There's no amount of money in the world that can buy that for you. And if you waste this life, be feeling sorry about what you don't have and miss the incredible gifts that you have in this one, then you've missed this one. Then you may never have those gifts in the next life or whatever comes next. Mm. Boy, I would be doing a lot of deep thinking after this conversation. Charles, I mean, one other final point. We're running low on time. This idea, though, this all of what we've talked about today isn't just a notion that you have, right? I mean, this isn't just Charles sat down one day and said, okay, I think this is how this works. I suspect a lot of this is actually based and can be talked about and discussed through science, right? Am I correct on that? I mean, this is how we're set up. What's beautiful about this is, has a like, I'm very scientific in my mind. I could never understand things just, you know, holistically and so on. It has to make very pragmatic sense to me. So it has, it, it has the logical in it. But I've also been involved in a lot of meetings and situations. And because I had my drug problem, I always died from it. I mean, I, I listened to hundreds and hundreds of people who poured their heart out, and we see it. And, and a lot of us know this stuff. I mean, when, when you talk to a lot of people, they, they know it. Perhaps what I did is just articulate it in a way that maybe many people can't uh, or don't want to or don't have the time for it, but I felt it's important to do it. So it, it's the way it's just communicated, but it really is, if, if you connect with it, if you listen to this and say, this makes a lot of sense, it means you know it inherently. It's just that we don't talk about it and we forget about it because of our perception disorder. We get sucked into our natural way of doing things. That's what I'm talking about. Like you have to change your life in a little bit so that your essence begins to change and you don't fall back into your ways and start seeing the way things the way you usually see them. And then you forget. And this is a thing that you have to continually work on, right? You don't just make it change your essence a bit and then boom. You, you can coast. This is this is an ongoing effort on your part. This this idea of taking care of yourself and moving to a higher state. And this is this is a process that never ends, right? And that's and that ought to be looked at as a good thing, right? Yes, you have to sleep every day. That's not a bad thing. You have to eat every day. That's not a bad thing. You have to take care of yourself mentally every day. That's not a bad thing. It will bring you more happiness than anything. And you start becoming even connected to that, to that routine that helps you. You start loving being with people. You start connecting with things that are in front of you that you've never noticed before. They'll give you pleasure you've never had before. When things bad happen to you, you just look at them as a sign from life to tell you go in the other direction, not in this one. And you actually say thank you for the sign and you move on. It's a state of gratitude, of happiness that you get out of it. So, yes, it is something you do every day, no different than if you have a garden and you take the weeds out on a continuous basis. You cannot just take them once and forget about it. Right. right. But, it's, but it's beautiful. It is. It is. Charles, 
fascinating conversation. We could go on for hours getting into the nitty-gritty of some of these things. Just yeah. some really interesting paths we could go down to go deeper here. Unfortunately, we're out of time for today. Before I let you go, should anyone have any questions, how can they contact you, and where can they get their hands on a copy of Hire? There's a lot of information that I put out on my website under charleshanna.com or hirebook.com. I have a lot of small video clips where I talk about a lot of these concepts and many others like old age. I find it a fascinating subject. I wish we could have had time for it. Mm. But you can go to the website and find out about the book and find out more about this subject. So again, it's hirebook.com and you can send me a message there and I respond to people and I can actually do even a video clip in terms of response to some of these questions. Outstanding. Charles Hanna, the author of a new book, Hire, Awaken to a More Fulfilling Life. Charles, great to have you. Thanks so much for stopping by and I appreciate your time. Very much here, too. Thank you. Okay. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Again, on behalf of my guest, Charles Hanna, I am Todd Schnick. We'll see you soon on Intrepid Radio. Thank you for listening to Intrepid Media. We appreciate your attention. To receive everything we do, simply go to IntrepidMailingList.com. That's IntrepidMailingList.com and sign up. You can also find us at intrepid.media and on iTunes. And to support the important work we do on your behalf, a rating and review on iTunes will help spread our work far and wide. Again, we certainly appreciate your support. Now get out there, be intrepid, and we'll see you next time.